So if you haven't been with us, I wanted to recap some for you what we've been working through as Advent has begun in the last couple of weeks. So we started in week one of Advent, and in kind of a strange way, we looked at the second coming of Christ and how that's a way in which that we can, can uh, participate in, in, in waiting on Jesus, that we can learn from the season of Advent on how we wait. And we're reminded that he's coming. And we're not aware that Jesus is coming because of bad things and bad signs. But we're aware that he's coming by the glimpses of the Holy Spirit and the glimpses of the way that God is working in our community, that we see God present with us. Then last week, we talked about being peacemakers, to prepare the way of the Lord. And what that means, what does it mean to, to make every high place low and to make every crooked place straight? So we were challenged to make peace in our lives. And as being peacemakers, we prepare the way of the Lord. Rather than cause chaos and slow it down, as peacemakers, we prepare the way of the Lord. And so in our text for today, we pick up exactly where we left off last week. So we'll be in Luke chapter 3, starting in verse 7, and we'll go through verse 18. Luke chapter 3, verses 7 through 18. I invite you to stand with me today as we hear the word of the Lord from Luke's gospel. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What should we do then? the crowd asked. John answered, Anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teachers, they asked, What should we do? Don't collect any more than you are required to, he told them. Then some soldiers asked him, And what should we do? He replied, Don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. The people were waiting expectantly and were all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in, the hand, in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. This is the word of the Lord, and we say, thanks be to God. You can be seated. So at first glance, we can read this text, and we can think that it's all about judgment. Well, and honestly, it's about judgment. John wants the crowd to realize that, that they're not saved because of who their great-granddaddy was. But rather, lets them know that God doesn't need anybody wasting time not preparing the way of the Lord because their ancestors did all that work. They must continue in the work of their ancestors. John says that the axe is already at the root of the tree and ready to cut down any tree that's not bearing fruit. And bearing fruit takes time, dedication, and the right nutrients. So absolutely, this is judgment. 
if you bear fruit and you continue to thrive, you stay. And if not, you're thrown into the fire. It's pretty explicit. In America today, in the 21st century, we love judgment. We really do. One of the things that I was reminded of during COVID, as we were all home more, was how absolutely awful daytime television is these days. You know, just local TV stations, it is awful. I mean, even The Price is Right is just, it's gone downhill so hard. We turned it on over Thanksgiving one morning, and Drew Carey just looked like he needed a shower, and, and I was just, Bob Barker's probably just so disappointed. And then there's so many commercials for Medicare, Medicaid, Life Alert, and Hover Around that you can quote them after just watching one show. And, oh, it's just no good. But then after the morning routine, and then you get some soap operas, and then everybody has a judge show now. Between Judge Mathis and Judge Judy and the hot bench, I even saw a couple weeks ago, as I was watching awful daytime television, that Steve Harvey is getting his own court show. So Steve Harvey is now going to be the judge for these fake court cases. But you know why they keep making the shows? It's because people watch them. If we would all just stop, they'd probably quit making the shows. But, but that's what people want to see. And I'm actually a Steve Harvey fan. But, I mean, in a courtroom, he's not a lawyer. It's not real cases. Who cares? But this is all for entertainment, I hope that today we understand that there really only is one judge. And we call that judge God. And when God asks for our testimony, there is no lying or loophole that will get us out of that courtroom. We will all be judged. And when that day comes, it will be too late to change the outcome. I believe scripture is very clear on that. So when John tells the crowd about this, their immediate response is the same that all of us would have in that moment. So what do we do? We don't want to be thrown into the fire. How do we do it? Come on, be practical, John. Tell us. How do we make sure that when judgment comes, that we've done what we're supposed to do? Then we get John's response. Anybody with two shirts? Give one to someone that doesn't have one. You know, as I read that scripture, you know that kind of like grandfather joke thing where they'll go up to kids and they'll be like, ooh, look, look, look. Oh, I thought about that. And as, as I sat at my desk, I tried it and I kept doing it wrong. So I almost didn't do it. But that, that's where my mind went. Those who have two shirts. Ooh, now everyone has a shirt. I had a pastor tell me one time that there are two things that people always feel guilty about when you preach on them. So you have to be careful and recognize that as you prepare. Uh, And and those two things, the first one is prayer. Anytime we talk about prayer, we're all convicted that we could pray more, we could pray better, we could be more sincere. And so that that just kind of goes without saying. And the second one is giving. Anytime we talk about giving, no matter how much you are currently giving, you feel like you could give a little bit more. You know, we can all feel convicted that what we're doing is not quite enough, and we know that we could give a little bit more. Well, I bet when John threw out this response, everyone felt guilty. 
Because I bet the vast majority of them had more than one cloak at home, more than one piece of clothing. They might have had a full wardrobe of garments at home, and they probably passed a beggar on their way to John that day whose clothes were ripped and torn and not covering very much. Much like all of us here today, probably clothes in the closet at home that we never wear and know that someone else would gladly take them. You know, we only wear the same five outfits, but we narrow it down from the ones that we don't want to wear. And we're all guilty of that. So, so this is a touchy response, as instantly all of the hearers probably felt a little guilty because they knew that they had excess at home. Then a tax collector speaks up and asks, Hey, what about us? What do we do? How do we make sure that we're bearing fruit? And John says, uh, that I'm sure was a remark that made all of the tax collectors also feel very guilty. Stop taking people's money. And that days, that's what tax collectors did. If you owed $10, they'd collect $14. They'd pocket the $4 and they'd send the rest to the government. Take what they owe the government and only that amount. Do your job correctly. Then a soldier asked the same question and John tells him to be honest with people. And please don't think more highly of yourselves than you should. Don't think that you deserve more money when you're getting paid fairly to do your job. So essentially, John has told us today that to be bearers of fruit, as we prepare the way of the Lord, we need to be generous in giving to others. We need to be honest and do our jobs with integrity. And we must be humble to know that our job is a gift. Generosity, integrity, humility. If you're a note taker, write those three down. Generosity, integrity, and humility. And notice, John didn't tell the tax collectors to quit their jobs. He said, do your job correctly. He didn't tell the others, go sell all your clothes and give the money to charity. No. He said, take what you have and use it rightly. Well, this third week of Advent, we find ourselves lighting the pink candle, the candle of joy. And now that I've successfully made you feel guilty in some way, shape, or form, and reminded you that getting getting thrown into the fire or into hell is an option on Judgment Day, are you full of joy? Do you remember back when Josh did a series on joy and happiness, maybe a year and a half ago now, maybe even longer Do you remember the number one thing that led to joy in people's lives? The number one thing on that list was generosity. Generosity was John's very first response on how do we bear fruit. When we are generous, we become a people filled with joy, knowing that God has provided and will continue to do so as we are faithfully generous. Another thing that joy does to us is it allows us to be people of integrity because we already have a reason to celebrate. And we're not trying to secretly coerce something into bringing us joy. secret. But we have our source of joy already. When we are living in the fullness of joy Christ brings, we are brought to humility because we're reminded of the judgment that is to come and reminded that Jesus made it so the fire was not the only option. I have joy because of that today, and I hope you do too. I hope you hear what I'm saying. The fire is not the only option. 
And that is good news. Joy is what Paul classifies as a fruit of the Spirit, right? Did you ever sing that song? The fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Okay, one, two, anybody else? Three. And we're all under, yeah, we're all rather young. So maybe that came around later in life. So I guess I'll I'll finish the line. So it's the fruit of the Spirit, it's not a coconut. Fruit of the Spirit, it's not a coconut. You might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the Spirit because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. All right, moving on. Thank you. I do not own any copyrights to that song. But apparently we don't know who does, so I give them credit. But Paul calls joy a fruit of the Spirit, right? When we do these three things that John told the crowd to do that day, the fruit of, the, of joy will erupt out of us. We'll be unable to have it and not share it or for it to be seen by others. This passage also brings me to joy because as people who participate in preparing the way of the Lord... We are not sitting around worried about Judgment Day. As a people full of the joy of the Lord, we are not sitting around worried about Judgment Day. That's good news. God has made known to us that which we will be judged on, and we can live in joy knowing that we are striving to be bearers of fruit through generosity, integrity, and humility. Now let's talk just for a minute about what this text means for our salvation. But I, I just can't help but go this direction. When you ask Jesus to be Lord of your life and confess your sin, we believe that Christ redeems you and reconciles you back to right relationship with God. You are saved. Thanks be to God. But you see, salvation is not the end goal. Salvation is just the beginning. Our goal is not to just have the right outcome on Judgment Day. But our goal is to reach all the world with the good news that we can live in such a way that spreads joy about Judgment Day and fear over it. When we're truly living on mission to be generous, humble people of integrity, then we're participating in the sanctified life. We believe that this is what is next. After you accept Christ and knowing the outcome on Judgment Day... God calls us to go even deeper into relationship that sets us apart, that sanctifies us on mission in our daily lives to be the people of God that are preparing the way of the Lord. I want us to pray today so that we can cry out to God in response to this scripture. You see, your salvation does not simply allow you to be on good terms for judgment day. But your salvation today, church, comes with responsibility. This responsibility to be generous, humble people of integrity. Maybe today you're thinking, Ryan, I know that Jesus is Lord of my life, but I have no idea how I would ever be generous, humble, and full of integrity. My response to you today is that you can't be. You can't be without the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit at work in your life to give you a spirit that is generous and humble and of integrity. If you're hungry for that this morning, I invite you to the altars, to a place where we just say, God has worked here before and we believe God's going to work here again. 
to cry out to God for infilling of the Holy Spirit. And if you've never accepted Jesus today, let me tell you, it's the greatest thing that you could ever do. Because there is nothing like the joy of the Lord that can fill us so that we're not scared about judgment day. But it also allows you to be about the very work of God in the world. It also gives you responsibility, but you are not alone in that responsibility as you have a church that loves you and is on mission with you. Karen, would you come play for us today? We're, we're going to take a time of prayer. But I hope you hear the heart of this today. If you've listened well, as we prepare the way of the Lord, God continues to sanctify us and set us apart And when we do that, the high places are made low. And the crooked places are made straight. As we anticipate the coming of the Messiah. I want to say this one more time. Another thing that joy does to us is it allows us to be people full of integrity. Because we already have a reason to celebrate. And we're not trying to secretly coerce away into being happy and to be filled with joy and to find meaning in life because we have meaning in the Messiah that is already here and the Messiah that is coming. And that's good news. When we're living in the fullness of joy that Christ brings, we're brought to humility because we're reminded of the judgment that is to come and reminded that Jesus made it so that the fire is not the only option. And I have joy because of that today. In the midst of your circumstance in life, let me tell you something. There is joy. There can be tears in joy. There can be heartache in joy. Because there is a Savior in our joy that redeems and renews that heartache and those tears And those feelings, so that we can prepare the way of the coming Messiah who is coming to make all things new. And he wants to start with your heart today. So regardless of where you're at in your walk with Christ today, I invite you to these altars, to a place of prayer at your seat, so that we can cry out to God and say, God, as you redeem the world, would you redeem me? Would you sanctify me, set me apart so I can be about your work in this world because he's not coming back till we're about that work. He told us to be about my work and there is work to do. So I'm going to stop talking, but let's pray together because God wants to do something today. Let's pray. Father, we come as a church that just so boldly wants to know you more, that so boldly wants to end relationship with you. And God, I truly believe today that if we are filled with the joy of the Lord, that our community will begin to notice, that it will bubble out of us, it will bubble out of who we are. So God, help us today to be a generous people who can take our excess and give it to the needy, who can go into our everyday jobs and say, I'm going to do this the right way. I'm going to be a person of integrity because I don't have to coerce joy in the closet to give off some appearance because the joy of the Lord is my strength and my salvation. 
So, Father God, we come to you today with, with hearts that are all in different places. Hearts that are hurting from family struggles. Hearts that are hurting from diagnosis. Hearts that are hurting from loss. Hearts that are hurting from the chaos that the world throws at us. And today we proclaim that you are Emmanuel. You are God with us today. That as we prepare your way, you are already present with us. And that sets you apart from any other God we could ever want to try to worship. That makes you holy. So today, would you consecrate us holy as your people? As the people of God that are on mission in the world because we have the joy of the Lord in our hearts and in our lives. May we be good bearers of fruit as a people of God who do not fear judgment day, but we live in joy knowing the outcome of our judgment because we are in faithful relationship with the judge today. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit that meets with us today. Your Holy Spirit that goes beyond technical difficulties. Your Holy Spirit that goes beyond what we thought could happen today. But you still meet with us. And for that, we are so grateful. So Lord, continue to mend our hearts today and the ways have them so that we could better be your people today. We pray this all in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. The worship team's going to come and we're going to sing the song that we started with today. It says, Joy, unspeakable joy. It rises in my soul and it never lets me go.